You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. All right, now perhaps some of you guys have opened your presents earlier today, or maybe you're waiting for the end of the service, or you're waiting for me to get things going, right, and quickly wrap up so they can go home and celebrate with their family and friends. And, um, but the idea of gift giving is wonderful, right? It's wonderful, I think. To give and receive gifts can be a tremendous blessing for other people and an opportunity to express simply how you feel and how you are and how you care for one another. Now, perhaps some of you guys have promised your children the latest toy or game console. Maybe for some of the husbands here, you finally bought that piece of jewelry your wife had not so subtly been eyeing every time you passed by that jewelry store, right? Or maybe for you wives or ladies, you purchased your guy that game ticket to the football game or maybe his famous steakhouse, you know, a gift card to there, whatever that he's been craving for. Maybe for some of you... You've worked hard this entire year, and you finally saved up enough to buy your hardworking mom or hardworking dad a vacation or a fancy meal out or maybe a spa package or something like that. Gift-giving is great, and we promise each other this or that, but do you know that God has promised us something too? Everyone say, oh, yeah? yeah. Now, you're all probably thinking, I know the answer to this. It is, after all, Christmas. What is the answer? Ah, see, wrong. Okay. <clears throat> yes, of course, God has promised us Jesus, but here, God has promised us the world. Everyone say the world. So let me set the stage here for a moment, okay? So we're here in chapter 12, which is pretty significant. And why is that? Because from chapters 1 through 11 contains some pretty awesome things, things that no other writing has ever, ever included. Things of the creation of the universe, the world, how you and I came to be. All those wonderful things. Now we're entering into a new part here in Genesis, from Genesis chapter 12 all the way to the end, Genesis chapter 15, where it now begins to tell a story of a particular group of people. So much like I've been doing, I've been doing in the past several weeks, I've condensed the Bible reading to just a few short main verses while actually taking my entire sermon from an entire portion, a larger portion of Scripture, meaning this. If you want to take notes here, my passage, my sermon is actually from Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, okay? Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, all the way through Genesis chapter 12, verse 9. So the breakdown of the main portion of today's text is really this. From verses 1, 2, 3, God, he makes a promise to Abram. Then from verses 4 to 6, Abram responds. Then the first part of verse 7, God, he appears with another promise. Then the latter part of verse 7, all the way to verse 9, Abram again responds to God. And so I believe today there are two truths I want to make that I believe God is wanting us to consider. And my first point is this. God promises his people the world. Everyone say, promise the people the world. Turn to neighbor and say, I want to give you the world. Like I said, we love, we love gift-giving, don't we? We love gift-giving. Not, um, not only does God give us Christ, but he promises us to give us the world. So some of you ladies, you've heard that line before, haven't you? Right? Maybe there's a guy in high school or in college who was just a little bit too much into R&B music. 
And he would try to woo you with those lines. Baby, I want to give you the world. I want to give you the world. I know it's a horrible pickup line. I don't think pickup lines work. When I dated my wife, I didn't use some stupid, cheesy pickup line like some child. No, I had my mom ask her out for me. <laughs> Simple and straight to the point. Because, you know, when you bring your mom into the picture, you know she's got to know that you mean business. Joking aside, if you ever really want to know how Grace and I, how we entered our courtship, you can talk to me afterwards. But, um, <clears throat> but yeah, so these pickup lines don't really work, right? And I think for the most part, a lot of guys are starting to figure that out. I mean, I remember a few years ago, even now, really a few years ago, a lot of Christian guys, they would say these ridiculous Christian pickup lines, right? They would say, hi, my name is Will, God's will for your life, <laughs> right? I mean, like, those are horrible. Or another guy would say, you know, hey, I've been reading through the book of Numbers, and I realized I didn't have yours. <clears throat> but then I remember a few years ago, I went to a retreat, a youth retreat, okay? And there was a boy, a guy, a boy, and he essentially said this. And it was, see, these lines are getting a lot more sneaky, a lot more sneaky. They're a lot more, it seems harmless in the exterior. But, for instance, this, I overheard this one youth boy say this to a youth girl after an intimate revival-esque kind of last service. You know how kind of deep and emotional it gets? And so everyone's just crying and all that stuff, and, and they're befriending everyone. He comes up to her, and he says, Hey, hey, you know what? Can you accept my Facebook friend request so I can keep encouraging you after this is over? I said, Wow. <laughs> like, it's creepy and it's smooth at the same time, Right? Now, for you ladies, if you're taught that if a guy ever said that, you should, if the guy ever offered you and said, I'll give you the whole world, that you should run for cover, right? Because while that's extremely generous of that individual to offer you the whole world, it's also impossible. And yet we essentially get to see that promise unfold between God and Abram, because God says, Abram, my child, I want to give you the whole world. Abram, I love you. My love, I want to give you it all. The only difference is when God said it, he meant it. So far throughout the past 11 chapters, yes, we read of hope and we read of how God not only judged but preserved people, but we saw also God's judgment too. In fact, God, he, he judged five times, five curses. He, he, cursed, the, um, he cursed Canaan, he cursed uh, the ground, he cursed Cain, he cursed Babel because it was it was destroyed. But now here in, in these three verses, we don't see any curses, but rather we see blessings. In fact, God makes five blessings. So quickly from verses 2, 3, and 7, God's promise to Abram was, I'll make you into a great nation. I'll make your name great. I'll bless those who bless you. And kind of similarly, he says, all people on earth will be blessed through you. And in verse 7, to your offspring, I will give you the land. So let me break these blessings down for us. So from this one guy, Abram, okay, this is before his name was changed to Abraham, Abram, the nation of Israel had merged through his son Isaac, and not to mention the other nations that come through his other son, Ishmael. Also, God made Abram's name great by making him the most revered figure in all of Jewish patriarchy. In fact, even the Arabs consider Abram to be their father. Not only that, God did bless those who blessed Israel, and he also cursed those who cursed them too. I mean, think of the Pharaoh, how with his hardened heart, he refused to let the Egyptians go. 
And so God, he cursed him. He cursed his son. He cursed his entire nation. Or think about the blessings of the surrounding nations who came under King David's rule. How not only was Jerusalem, not only was King David's kingdom, right, city center, being prosperous, but the entire surrounding nations too. Or finally, God, he certainly did give Abraham's descendants the land he promised because under the command of Joshua, the Israelites, they went forth in faith and they took possession of the land. And under King David's rule, that land expanded. Okay, so let's stop there with all that good stuff because it's good and well for Abraham and his descendants, but how does that apply to you and me? How does God give us the world? How does God give you the world? In fact, this whole idea of giving the world to us, does that mean like what Psalm 37, 4 means, where if we delight in the Lord, he gives us the desires of our own heart, right? As in if we're faithful, if we pray enough, if we worship enough, if we're good enough, if we're holy enough, if we give enough, then we'll finally get that big house in that amazing neighborhood down the street. Or we can finally get that dream job of ours because now we finally earned it and we've, we've lived moralistically, we live faithfully and obediently, and now God somehow, this great perfect God says, hey, I owe you now. So let me bless you with a fast car. Let me bless you with a big house. Let me bless you with this or that. Now for good Christians and we love the Lord and, and God says, after all, he says, I promised you all this in the world. Does that mean we finally get to married and have the guy or girl of our dreams? Does that mean that we can finally have kids too? Does getting the world mean that we will become a great person and leave a great legacy like Abram? Does getting the world mean that we will have a great name and a great reputation like Abram? Does getting the world mean that those who are associated with us will somehow become blessed like Abram? Does getting the world mean that all who cross our paths will somehow be favored and that we'll receive a lot of land? In other words, that we'll receive a lot of abundant wealth and riches beyond our wildest dreams like Abram. Is that what God means when he says, I want to bless you with the world? I want to give you the whole world. Unsurprisingly, that's what a lot of people want to hear because that's what a lot of people choose to hear. When we hear God's blessings, we typically think of dollar signs in the word blessings instead of those S's. We think of money, dollar signs, because for us, more often than not, that's where our hearts are at. But maybe it's not money for you. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's respect. Maybe it's the need to be satisfied with your daily grind. Maybe it's the need to be accepted and adored or feared by people. But whatever it is, maybe we think that being faithful to God will eventually lead to these things. And so that's how we view God's promising us the world. If I do this, God will give me that. And here's our problem. Every time we have that mentality, that thinking that, if I could just do this for you, then I'll get this from you. Let me get real here for a little bit. When we just want more money, because we feel like that's what we need in life. Let me tell you, money comes and goes. Money can get, can get you a little bit of the highs in life, but beyond that, money has its limits too. Maybe it's health. You can be sick one day and pray for healing the next, but guess what? One day you can get sick again. And we all know, never believe, we all will one day die. Maybe it's success, respect, or fame. All those things come with a cost, sacrificing other parts of your life, not to mention that we typically define success in two ways. How much money we've earned, which is 
my previous point, but also how people view us, which simply feeds into our insecurity of needing to be validated by others. So anything that you're looking for and the way that you're defining how God offers you the world are these things. And let me say this, that is all the world can offer. That's all the world can offer you. That's the most you can get from this world, temporary, fleeting, superficial moments of pleasure. But if you know anything of who God is, you'll know that he is anything but temporary, fleeting, or superficial. Now remember, early on in the series, I said, if you can't really understand what's going on in the Bible, let Scripture interpret Scripture. So if you turn Galatians, you don't have to, but Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, God gives us a little insight, a little commentary of his own words. And here's what God says. <clears throat> the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, many, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Did you, guys, did you guys catch that? Now, a lot of people, when they read this verse, they'll try to argue that this verse is about Abraham's blessings were only for the Israelites and his descendants, but Apostle Paul is making the statement quite clear. This means that whatever fulfillment of these promises we see in the life of Abraham and descendants, these blessings that God says, God, God says, Abraham, I'm blessing you with this, and I'm blessing you with that, and your descendants, I'm blessing you with this, all these things, all that, get this, is only an aspect. It is only a shadow. It is only a token. It is only a glimpse of the true meaning of today's passage in Genesis chapter 3, meaning this. The real promise to make your name great, to give you land, to, to be a blessing to those who bless you and all that. No, no, no. The real promise, okay, goes beyond that because the real promise belongs not to Abraham, but to Jesus Christ. Get that. All those things, the five blessings that God said to Abram, 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 Abram were actually fulfilled and meant for Jesus Christ. The promises were meant for Christ. So track with me here. Remember all those awesome promises of God? Well, we'll see how it applies to him. God promised to make him a great nation. The risen King Jesus has now been enthroned as the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. What and where is his great nation? It's the eternal kingdom of God which he rules. What about the promise of a great name? Well, what does Philippians 2 say? God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is what? Above every name. Remember how God promised to bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him? Matthew 25 says, And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You see, when Jesus speaks of judgment day, he's declaring blessings, but he's also declaring curses based on how people treated his people. And remember how God promised all people on earth will be blessed through you. We'll look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What does that mean? What is this blessing? The blessing of Abram on the nations is the blessing which Christ brings. And what is that blessing? It is the reconciliation by the power of the gospel between us and God. That is the blessing. It is not what you think it might be. It is not what you hope it could be. It is Christ and Christ alone. That he says, come into my presence. 
But lastly, remember how God promised Abram's seed that they would possess a promised land? You see, this is where we need to realize that this life isn't the only life we live. You know, you see bumper stickers that say, uh, live well because this is your only life. Or something. I'm like totally butchering the statement. I think you know what I'm talking about, right? You see, when God promised his children the world, he promised us the world. It wasn't some metaphorical or kind of distant or fantastical time. No, when God says, I'm giving you the world, he says, I'm giving you the world. In Revelation, the Lord speaks of a new heaven, and he speaks of a new earth. This is a place where things are permanent, where it's not temporary but eternal, where joy and satisfaction and peace and love, it doesn't fade but remains at its fullest because why? We're constantly, eternally in the presence of our God and King. That's what God meant when he made these promises to Abram. This is what God meant when he made this promise to his children. And he says, I'm giving you the world. You have to think that far ahead. When all we want is this world, like this world right here, this 2016, what's going on, crazed world of ours, then guess what? We only sow seeds that are only good for this world. Our investments become shallow. Our interests become vain. But when we realize that there's more to these promises and simply living a comfortable life, we'll soon invest in eternal ways. We'll start viewing people the way God sees people. We'll stop our vain pursuits and instead pursue after the will of God. And what are eternal investments? It's when you invest in people. It's when you are leading people to know their one true king. Investing in people's knowledge and enjoyment of God. That's what it's all about. Leading people to know God. To know who you know. For this new year, start asking yourself this. How can I use my talent? How can I use my resources? How can I use my time to bring people closer to God? People are out there need to know, like the people in here, that to have Jesus means to have the world. But to have the world will mean that they can never have Jesus. You get that? Now my second point is because God's promises are so radical, it demands a radical response in obedience. Turn to your neighbor and say, obey. <clears throat> now, many people will claim that if God showed up right now, they would fall and worship him without question. God, make yourself appear, and I will worship you. I will be your number one fan. Have you ever heard that one before? I've heard it too many times. We'll get this. People have been saying that for centuries. They witnessed the hand of God in the Old Testament countless times. Even God's own chosen people questioned the realness of God. Even with the plagues of Egypt, even with the miracles in the wilderness, the pillar of fire, water gushing out of the rocks, manna from heaven, even with the serpent healing the sick, even with the Red Sea splitting or the Jordan River dividing, even with the walls of Jericho falling, even with the moon and the sun standing still, even with the drenched altar sacrifice consumed, even with the resurrection of the widow's son, even with Naaman being cured of his leprosy, even with an entire, entire army is being slain by an angel, even with a man surviving in the belly of a fish, and prophets being thrown into the fiery furnace and into a lion's den, people still say, I don't believe it. 
So what did God do? Well, 2,000 years ago, God says, if you're not going to listen to my messengers who performed all these supernatural acts to prove that I am, in fact, God, and I am the real deal, then I'll have to go down myself. So Jesus, the Son of God who is God, was born to a lowly virgin girl named Mary and a man named Joseph. So now instead of the hand of God, we are getting the Son of God. We are getting the image of the invisible God who has come to save the world. But his birth wasn't just a simple act. No, it was a series of amazing prophetic events. An angel visited a virgin who became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. The baby in her womb was the son of God from heaven. God caused a heathen emperor to call for a taxation that sent Mary and Joseph back to Bethlehem at the very moment Jesus was born. Prophets foretold both the virgin birth and the birth in Bethlehem hundreds of years before it even happened. A star led the Magi from the east directly to the house in Bethlehem where Jesus was. Angels spoke to the shepherds. Angels spoke to Joseph on three separate occasions. And angels spoke to the Magi warning them not to return to Herod. Even the slaughter of the infant boys of Bethlehem fulfilled ancient prophecy. When aged Simeon, this old Simeon held baby Jesus in his arms, he prophesied of Jesus' death on the cross. Before Jesus' death, he performed many miracles. In fact, too many to be accounted for. Too many that even the authors were, weren't able to record it all. And people, thousands and thousands and thousands, have witnessed it. But did they believe? No. It's not easy. Jesus wasn't born in some nice cushy hotel. An entire kingdom and a crazed king were out to get him and kill him. Jesus was born under difficult circumstances. I mean... Look at his death. He died on the cross for our sins. Just think about that statement for a second. I know you've heard it many times, but just think about that statement. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, for your sins. Jesus' entire life from birth to death was anything but the type of celebratory, joy-filled, candy cane type of atmosphere we have made his birth to be. It was a sacrifice, people. God had to send his one and only son to die for us, people. God had to break the always eternally entwined trinity to send Jesus to die for us. Christmas was the day God's son was born in a manger, but it was the day that his son was born to die. You see, hear me out. Christmas, it just cannot be a time where we sing Silent Night and we read the birth passage of Christ and then we call it quits and say, well, wasn't that lovely? The entry of God into this world by sending his son, it wasn't just a gift. It was a sacrifice. And here's what I'm getting at, people. If Christ did this for us, what are we then called to do for him? If Christ lived to die for our sins, shouldn't we die to our sins so that we can live for him? It was God's act of pure grace that sent his son to die for us. It was God's act of grace that saved us. And here's my point. It, was God, it is God's grace that will help us to live in obedience, to live a life that reflects the redemption through Christ Jesus. Now in this chapter, we don't really get any wording for faith, but we do get a lot of evidence for it. How? Because we see obedience. Yeah, in our day right now, we say a lot of stuff like, it's all about having faith. 
but without the obedience part. But what we fail to realize is that those two go hand in hand. After all, that's what James is talking about when you see someone's faith by their works. So God, he calls Abram, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household. In other words, God essentially says to Abram, leave, leave, and leave. God, where? Just leave. Do I need to take this? Leave. How will I know where I, if I'm on the right path? Leave. So how does Abram respond? In verse 4, so Abram went. As the Lord had told him. Brothers and sisters, friends, <clears throat> whether God calls you into ministry or the mission field or a corporate job or to school or to be a stay-at-home parent, every person is called by God to give up their lives to serve him. We must come to terms with this radical, lay everything on the line type of obedience. In fact, I'm going to take this, take this a little bit further. From this point on, I want to encourage you all to pray before you go anywhere and ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? I'll get, I would say this. Father, I'm going to Olive Gardens today where there are endless breadsticks and salad. So I'll be camping out there for quite a while. So please, lead me to speak truth and life to someone there today. Disturb my dinner. Disturb my mealtime. Disturb my alone time. And bring a stranger before me that I might introduce the gospel to them. You see, God, he's calling for us to make him known. It doesn't stop when we feel like it's our downtime or my time. The calling is always upon us. It's always upon us. I hope and pray that this year you guys would pursue a life that is so uncomfortable. But that's okay. Because Christianity was never meant to be comfortable. The innocent little baby in the manger eventually walked to the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. To those who accept that payment, Jesus offers us eternal life where we truly receive a whole new heaven and a whole new earth. So as you celebrate Christmas today, as you sit around your dinner table with your family and friends, as you sip on some eggnog or hot cocoa, as you begin to unwrap your presents, as you, as you nestle in for a viewing of It's a Wonderful Life, as you live your life this Christmas day, remember that Jesus is no longer in the manger, but that today he sits at the right hand of the Father waiting for his time to return when every eye will see him when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. So when he comes again, will there be any surprise that you only knew Jesus as a baby? Or will you experience an awesome reunion with Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? So just as Mary responded in obedience, just as Joseph responded in obedience, just as the angels and shepherds responded in obedience, just as Abram responded in obedience, and finally, just as Jesus responded in obedience to the Father, may we too live a faithful life that is marked by obedience. So the promises of God to Abram, it's all just a glimpse into the full promise of who Christ is and what he has done and what he will do. Today, God is calling you all Trust in the promises of who Christ is, and he says, live in radical obedience to his name. Amen? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you 
for this Christmas afternoon where we can be reminded not of just the story we've heard for so long, but really um, the other side of that coin, and that is the so what part. Christ, did you just come to this earth to save us and then for us to remain just living the way that we've been living, unchanged, untransformed, living for the world? Lord in Christ, you have made us a new creation. You have made what was old new. You have turned our hearts of stone into flesh. You have allowed us to no longer become labeled sinners but saints. You have allowed us to move from enemies to friend of God. You died for me. You died for us. How can I not live for you? You transformed my life. How can I not live for you? You are God. You are truth. It is only your words that are true and are solid and are foundational and are good. How can I not listen to you? Friends, brothers and sisters, today, take a moment, please. Pray your prayer. Maybe there's just a lot of questions and thoughts running through your head, and that's fine. Can I challenge you guys? Can you, can you ask God, bring clarity into your mind and heart? Say, God, I just don't know if, if, if all this is true. I just don't know if really Jesus is who he says he is. Don't worry. God is big enough to receive those questions. Ask him. And say, Lord, I'm struggling with unbelief and doubt. Let me see. If this is really true, let me see. If this is really true, let me understand. If this is really true, God, give me faith. So take a moment and pray. It's just between you and the Lord. No one else will hear. No one else will know. But take this moment and surrender yourself to the cross.